try this one. Oh, now that works. Okay, good. Hooray. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> okay, after that start, <laughs> I was going to say, if I was in Hong Kong, I could say, Jo-san, Sunnin, Phylok, which I hope translates as good morning and... Happy New Year. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad of that because I know that uh, if you get the wrong tone, you can say something which can be a little bit off. <laughs> and I, I remember that last week, uh, Clifford said that you do not usually give a person, a, a Chinese-speaking person, a clock because that sounds a little bit like saying going to a funeral. Did I remember that correctly? Okay. Good. <laughs> and I also remember that at one point when we lived in Hong Kong, uh, the gentleman who was in the flat below us was an Englishman associated with the uh, Hong Kong police, and he was attached to the um, traffic section. And he shared that he was very, very confident that no one would ever ride his motorcycle because the number of the motorcycle was four, four, four. And four, <laughs> apparently the, the sound of four in Cantonese is very similar to the sound of death, the word for death. And so therefore his motorcycle was triple death and it didn't matter how long he left it, nobody would ride it. And I also, I don't know how about you, but I feel as if I've only just got used to writing 2022 on the forms that I have to fill in. And now I'm going to have to start thinking 2023. Yeah? <laughs> Who made a New Year's resolution? Did anyone do that? Oh, maybe you're like me and think, what's the point? I never keep it anyway, so I don't even try. <laughs> but anyway, let's see what God has to say for us today. So please, let's commit this time to the Lord. <sighs> Father God, as we look back, we do want to thank you so much for the fact that even though you are the sovereign God, you are the great creator, you are the sustainer of all things, you are the God Almighty. You still are our Father and you care for us greatly. I want to thank you for the way that you have watched over us, you have provided for us, you've guided us, you've strengthened us. And Lord, I do want to ask that you will please speak to us today. Lord, you know exactly where we are. You know exactly what we need. And I do pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us as individuals. And we will be encouraged in our walk with you. And so, Father, I lift this time to you in Jesus' name. And actually, the sermon's not really on Hebrews. But that was the verse that I, or the verses that I wanted to use. When we were talking about what uh, the subject would be for today, it was suggested that as it was the first day of the new year, 
we could have a sermon entitled Start Strong. But I thought, no, I want to change it a little bit to Start Strong, Finish Strong. And so that's what I hope to do today. I want to look at three characters or groups of characters from the scripture. And the first one are the churches of the Galatians. Now it's considered that these churches are the ones like in Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe, which is, these are now in what is Turkey. And they were founded by Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, as we would see in Acts chapter 13 and 14. When we did the study of Acts, you might remember that Paul and Barnabas's method was to go to the local synagogue and to preach, to the, gospel, uh, preach the gospel to the people there. And in every place that they went, some Jews and some Gentiles accepted the gospel. But then other Jews would come in who were very jealous and they would stir up a lot of strife. We saw that Paul and Barnabas were expelled from Pisidian Antioch. But in Iconium, God enabled them to do signs and wonders. At Lystra, a man was miraculously healed, but the jealous Jews stoned Paul and they thought he was dead, and so they threw him out of the city and just left him there. But when the disciples prayed on him, he stood up and then travelled on to Derby. And from there, Paul and Barnabas backtracked and returned to Antioch <clears throat> from where they'd started the journey. And so these churches were made up of both Jew and Gentile, but with more Gentiles than Jews. They had started well. We know this because in Galatians chapter 3 verse 2 it says, did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And in verse 3 it says, after beginning with the spirit and going into verse 5, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? or because you believe what you heard. We, this received, the way these verses are written indicates that there had been a genuine turning to Christ. There had been a genuine salvation. However, from the rest of the book of Galatians, it becomes obvious that they were being sidetracked. Some people who are referred to as Judaizers had come into the church and they were causing trouble. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul wrote, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now these people who were causing the trouble had come from a Jewish background. Some people would say they were Christians, but in Acts chapter 15, Paul calls them false, <coughs> excuse me, false brothers. And in Philippians chapter 3 verse 2, he refers to them as dogs, 
which was a very, very derogative term. But the fact that they were teaching that a person could not be a genuine believer, but the fact is that they were teaching that a person could not be a genuine believer unless they also followed the Jewish traditions of circumcision, uh, probably observing the special days and months, and possibly also the dietary laws. So the Galatians were confused. Paul called them, he said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And so in this letter, he seeks to set out very clearly that a person is saved by grace through faith, that the law could never impart life. The law was given to lead people to Christ, to show a person's need of Christ. And he said that the law keeps people in bondage, but faith in Christ can set a person free. And in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, You were running a good race. Who cut in, you, in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So the what is the application for us today? Unfortunately, there is still the teaching of faith plus works. It's my understanding that in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you are taught that if a person does not uh, observe all the sacraments, then they're not really quite saved. And I can remember when I was teaching, one time a little girl, I think she was about seven, came to me. She was very, very excited because on Sunday she was going to be confirmed. And I can't remember exactly what I said to her, but her excitement was based on the fact that she was going to get a very pretty dress and there was going to be a big party. No hint of a relationship with Christ. In some churches, it's taught that if a person is not baptised, they are not saved. I personally believe that baptism is good. It's good if a person is baptised, but only after they have made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism should be the affirmation of a, an already existing relationship. And the first year I was teaching, I was sent to a very small country town. And one day, one of the young lads, I think he was probably an early teenager, he came to me and he said he was going to get baptised uh, again. I can't remember exactly why, uh, what I said to him, but he said, oh, my parents said it's about time I was baptised, so I'm going to be baptised. Again, no hint of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In some churches, it is taught that if you do not speak in tongues, you're not really saved. On one of our trips back, <clears throat> we'd been on a holiday, I think, in England, and we were coming back to Australia to visit our family. And Wayne was sitting next to a young man, and as they talked, he came across that he said he was a Christian. So they had a very good conversation for a while. And then this young man said to Wayne, 
when did you last speak in tongues? Or how much do you speak in tongues? And Wayne said, I don't speak in tongues. It's not my gift. So then they spent the rest of the journey having a discussion, shall we say, on this topic. And when it came to getting off the plane, he turned to Wayne and he said, well, you're going to hell because you don't speak in tongues. <laughs> now, I, I believe that tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But we have seen from Scripture, I hope fairly clearly, that not everybody has the same gift. But the question for us is, are we running a good race? Or has the thought we, that we must obey certain rules come in to sidetrack us in our relationship with Christ? We certainly do need to live lives that are pleasing to God, to give evidence of our relationship with him, but it should not be just in the hope of, well, I might make it if I'm good enough, or, and he might stay, uh, I might stay in his good favour if, if I do certain things. That should not be the motivation for us to uh, persist in seeking to be obedient to God. We seek to be obedient to him because we love him and because we know that he has changed us. We can be sure of our position before him. We can run a good race, but not let these things sidetrack us into um, the wrong kind of thinking. The next person I want to look at is Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, this is what he said. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And then I, when I thought of the fact that he described himself as a Pharisee, I thought, well, what are they? What were they? We have heard of the Pharisees a lot, but what did they believe? What did they do? And so I thought, I'll try and find out some of the comments that were made about them. One writer said, they were a religious sect, a political movement, a social movement, a school of thought. Another one said, the Pharisees were considered the most expert, accurate expositors of the Jewish law. Another one said, in the time of Jesus, they were the most popular party. They were extremely accurate and minute in all matters attaining to the law of Moses. But then another one said, their religious system was form and nothing more. They were ranked by our Lord with the Sadducees as a generation of vipers. They were noted for their self-righteousness and pride. They were bitter and persistent enemies of the Lord and could not bear his doctrines. They sought by every means to destroy his influence 
among the people. So when Paul says he was faultless in regards to legalistic righteousness, it indicates that he had a very strong belief in their principles. And we see this because when Stephen was being uh, stoned to death, he was standing by giving full approval to this taking place. His zeal to eliminate the church was seen in Acts chapter 3. It says, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And then he upped his zeal, shall we say, for the church because he set off for Damascus with letters from the high priests to arrest the Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem. And we know that it was on this journey that he met the Lord. But then... Paul took that same zeal that he had to destroy the church in his preaching for the church or preaching for Christ. And so in Philippians he wrote, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I don't know if you've read these words, but just listen to this, what he put up with, or what he endured because of his faith in Christ. In Corinthians, he said, he was um, seeking to dispute or counteract the false teaching of some people who were claiming to be apostles. And he said, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea, I have been constantly on the move, I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin? and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. 
Several times in the scripture, Paul related or likened the Christian life to a race. And he wrote, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He wanted to receive the reward that had been promised. Paul started strongly and he finished strongly. Because in 2 Timothy, which was probably the last letter that he wrote before he was put to death, he said, I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award for me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I think as we consider what Paul went through, some of the things that upset us are really nothing, really nothing at all. So the encouragement from Paul is to persevere, to look forward to the reward that's been promised to those who look for his appearing. The last person I want to look at is the Lord Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 2, there's the, reward, uh, the record of him being left behind in Jerusalem after his family had traveled there to celebrate the feast of Passover. And his parents thought that he was with the group and then they found out that he wasn't there. So they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And when his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously search searching for you. His reply was, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So I think that this re reveals that even at a young age, he understood what his task was. One day I should share with you what happened when we left one of our grandsons behind. So I think we can, I can empathize a little bit with Mary and Joseph. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, his response was always to put Christ first or put God, put Jesus, let's start again. His re response was to always put obedience to the Father first. 
He did not let himself get sidetracked. There was a time when he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law and all the people brought uh, the sick to him to be healed. Then in the next, the next morning, the people were still looking for him to bring more people to him, but his response was, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that was why I was sent. In Matthew chapter 16, at one point Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then we are told that after that, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer many things, he was going to be put to death, and then he would raise to life again. And Peter took him aside and said, no, 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 that must never happen to you. That shall never happen to you. But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Again, his focus was being obedient to the Father. As the time for that last Passover approached, he steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem, even though he knew what was going to happen. He knew that the religious leaders were seeking as any way they could possibly find to put him to death. And after he ate that Passover meal, he went out into the garden and he prayed three times. If there's any other way, let this, will be, let this cup be taken from me but not my will, let your will be done. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He, as I said before, he was totally obedient to the Father. And this is why I have chosen or chose that verse, or those verses from Hebrews as an encouragement to us because it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so eagerly, easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. I don't know what New Year resolutions you could have made, but can I encourage you to determine that this year you will walk more closely with Jesus, you will run that race with perseverance. One blessing of knowing him is that we do not have to wait for a new year to start again. If we fail, it's not the end. Because God is always willing to forgive us. He's always willing to give us the strength to persevere when we feel like giving up. He's always willing to guide us when we don't know what to do. And he wants to help us to run that race so that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We have direct access to that throne of grace to receive all the grace and the mercy that we need. If there's anyone here today who has not yet started running that race, can I encourage you to do that today? It really, really, really is the most important race that you'll ever set out on. If you need help, I'm sure that there are people here today who would help you to start running that race. And if you're faltering, if you're being a little bit sidetracked by something, and you need some encouragement for someone else to stand alongside you, again, I'm sure that there are people here who would be willing to pray with you and to even encourage you in the days ahead. But we do need, all of us, all of us need to fix our eyes on Jesus and keep running that race. We don't know how long it will be for. We don't know if the Lord will call us all up to him this afternoon or tomorrow. We have no idea what the future brings on this earth. But if we know Jesus, we can have a sure hope for our future and it will be with him. So let's run that race. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your spirit speaking to our hearts, for helping us to understand that Jesus really is the author and the perfecter of, our, of the race, of the faith, rather. He is the one who has paid the full price for our redemption, that we do not have to do anything ex except accept the free gift that is offered to us. And I pray, Father, that in the days ahead, you will keep on speaking to our hearts. You will encourage us not to give up, but to persevere 
in spite of what's happening around us, help us to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ as he was faithful to you. Father, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your word, for the way that it does speak to us, it guides us, it directs us, it helps us. I want to thank you for the many, many blessings that you have given to us because of our relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that each one of us will be able to give you praise and thanks every day for the way that you are with us. And so I commit us to you, Father, that you will receive the honour and glory from the way that we live. And I want to thank you again in Jesus' name.